Continuing completed classics. Fulfilling failed franchises. Reinvigorating reviled rehashes. <laughs> it's the follow-up showdown holiday throwdown. <laughs> Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, Happy Kwanzaa, and blessings upon your holiday season, uppers and downers, and the jolliest of welcomes to the follow-up showdown to Nerds in Quarantine Christmas Special. I am your ho-ho host, Paul Getz, and with me are my co-hosts who keep me in the spirit all year round, Travis McMaster and Lauren Picorni. Season's greetings, you two. Hello. Ahoy hoy. <laughs> <laughs> if this is the first time you're joining us, the way it works is we take a movie with either no sequel or a sequel that is the equivalent of unwrapping a pair of socks when you're a kid, and each take a turn trying to turn what once was naughty to nice. And since this is the time of year to spend with friends, old and new, joining us today will be none other than my neighbors, both Disney cast members, returning to the show, Jason Pugh, and with us for the first time is Sierra Green. Thank you so much for being our guests, guys. Oh, that was great. I love love you through that in there. That was good. Hi, welcome. Hello. Thanks for having us. I'm so proud. <laughs> uh, it was extremely hard for me to refrain from saying that uh, a little bit sooner because the movie we'll be focusing on today is 1997's Beauty and the Beast, The Enchanted Christmas, mid-cool to the 1991 Disney Renaissance classic, Beauty and the Beast. What I mean by mid cool is that it is a movie that takes place within the time frame of the first one. So it's right smack dab in the middle, and I believe this is our first mid cool we've done on the show. Yeah, it's not too common yeah. of a sequel type, is it? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. I don't want to be okay. that guy about this, because this, no, this is not the popular guy to be, but the movie does open after the first picture, when everyone's a human, and the story is told in flashback. So timeline one. Oh. That's true. It's a we sequel do with a very long with a very long flashback. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Technically, I think uh, in Beauty and the Beast, it takes place over maybe a week. Jason and I were actually discussing that last night, like how long is the time of which Beauty and the Beast, the original, takes place? Because it, when it opens, the little town quiet village thing is very like late summer fall, like there are leaves and it's very like she's wearing like no jackets or anything. And then when she's in the castle, there's snow and ice skating and Christmas. And by the time the spell and all that happens, it's like mid, mid Chris or like mid winter. So I feel like it, yeah. it may be two seasons, but that could just be my interpretation of me analyzing cartoon weather. Yeah, because when Maurice leaves the house, it's like a very beautiful day when mm -hmm. Belle goes out and looks over like the lake and the mountains and stuff. And then when she leaves the house, there's no snow. And then when Maurice returns and tries to get the tavern people excited, it's like two feet of snow. Yes. So they yeah. have had extremely heavy snowfall in the time that Maurice was imprisoned, and then it stays snowing throughout the rest of the time. Yeah. I can't well, remember what, because that's what we had always thought as well. The weather seems to indicate that it's at least uh, a, almost a full year, maybe, or half a year at least. Maybe. This is my favorite all-time Disney movie, Beauty and the Beast, not The Enchanted Christmas. Mm. <laughs> 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 Growing up, I always felt like their love story was more organic because it felt like it took place over at least a couple months. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I agree. So I think that's by design. But if you actually look into it, it's like it's theoretically like maybe two hours from the town to the castle. So if you like use that, Maurice it, throughout the movie is just trying to get back to Belle. 
Mm-hmm. He like comes he goes to the castle, he comes back, and he is on his way back. So if that's just like a couple hours, this is really just a couple days. He does, however, walk back to the village. I but guess it's horseback versus... Yeah, like, hypothetically, it's a day's journey. That still adds a day either way. And then, you know, from the time that he wouldn't have, like, gotten home, waited three weeks, and then been like, everyone, come help my daughter, you know? Yeah. It's like... I think the only portion of Maurice's story that allows for time flexibility is because we cut to him right before he leaves to return to the castle. And he, like, mm-hmm. has his goggles on and he's stuffing stuff in his bag. He's like, I'm going to go get her myself. It maybe in that time he was off petitioning other qualified mm. people to try to rescue. And so that mm. scene is just him being like, I've been to four towns and no one's going to help me. So now I'll but do it myself. Not, mm-hmm. doesn't, um, I, maybe I'm misremembering. Isn't LeFou he's, he's outside in, the house that whole oh, time? He's in the yeah. <laughs> yeah, for yeah. days. And also, he's been yeah. I'll find him alive in the forest. So well, he, I can al- is... I can allow for him like searching the woods for like a month and a half and barely surviving. But that would still mean LeFou is like at some point spending weeks pretending to be a snowman. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it doesn't sound like we're gonna get a satisfying answer here. I will say I don't know how many of you no. guys watched the live action Beauty and the Beast remake. Yeah. In that, the, they address it by showing that the castle and the area surrounding the castle itself is enchanted and forgotten by the villagers. And so when Maurice takes the wrong turn in the direction of the castle, it starts snowing and he says, oh, it's snowing in June. Huh. Oh. 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 Yeah, I can I yeah. get behind that. But oh, that- sort of like an Arendelle when Elsa makes the eternal winter mm. kind of a thing. Yes. In Frozen. But that same logic doesn't seem to apply to the movie because, as you guys pointed out, the village is also covered in snow. Well, but I can can allow for unusual weather patterns adjacent to enchanted tracks of weather. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I can (laughs) handle it. I just need someone in the movie to go, oh, this is weird, right? And then I can go, yeah, it is weird. They get it. It's weird. (laughs) But yeah, you're right. Uh, I agree that I liked it better thinking that they could fall in love more organically over the course Mm -hmm. of a couple months because, I mean, that would really give someone with that deep of childhood trauma the time to, like, come to terms with their past and, like, learn to grow and be nice versus it being an act, which I feel like over a week's time it would be. I I agree with you, but I like that the movie, for lack of a better term, sort of fast-forwards that process because... When in The Enchanted Christmas and Belle's Magical World, the other straight-to-video sequel that exists, you spend extra time with the beast being a beast, it's a little bit, like, upsetting. It's like, wow, Belle really had to go through a lot. No, I thought that, too, when watching that movie, because I'd never seen Enchanted Christmas, never in my childhood, even though I remember all those, like, commercials that we would watch on the VHS tapes that were, like, coming soon to video and DVD. Um, So watching it last night, I was thinking through this whole thing. I was like, wow, Beast is, like, such a dick. And, like... Oh, sorry, I don't know if we use profanity on your podcast or not. Sure. I'm not a big swear, but yeah. I said dick. I mean, it is um, Christmas. Okay. Yeah. yeah. True. <laughs> um, no, but I was just like, he's like such a manipulative abuser. I was like so mad about it. And I was like, I felt like it took a lot of the magic away from me. I feel like it made it worse, but it also made it a little like sillier because he's not being beastly and in despair. He's being a grump. He's like, Ugh. You know, crosses his arms. Yeah, he's pouty. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, like that scene when he got all, all pissy about how his snow angel didn't yeah. look like oh, an angel, yeah. and he was like, oh, I can never make an angel! Yeah. <laughs> and he like, yeah, he didn't even play with yeah, arms. that's true. It reminds me of those um, Arrested Development scenes with Buster, where he does the, I'm a monster! And then rips the <laughs> stuff of him. Well, uh, spending a little bit more time on the first one, your thoughts on it, where does it rank for you? Well, as I've, I've already said, it's my, like, all-time favorite Disney movie. Mm. Um, the music's incredible. Um, the transformation scene makes me cry every time. Mm. It looks great. Uh, it still looks so great. Yeah, yeah. so pretty. As a yardstick for things that make Lauren cry, right. she cried the other day at the episode of The Office where Kevin dropped his chili. Oh, where? And his reaction does sell that scene. Yeah. Like he is oh, scooping oh, it. That's true despair. That true despair. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have any interesting or original things to say about Beauty and the Beast. I just think it's as amazing and wonderful as everyone does. It's probably, it's not my number one, but it's certainly going to be like top five, top three. It's incredible. I think growing up, it was not in my top three, but upon this rewatch, it is very, it's just very clean, very well put together. And I just love, I'm a big Gaston fan. Yeah, I love like just the douchey villain mm -hmm. who is just like a god. He's just such a jerk. Full-bodied voice too. It's very good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, it's spectacular. I love Beauty and the Beast. It falls short of the number one spot for me, but but Gaston holds the number one villain spot for me personally because I think because he is so funny on top of also being very hateable and having great songs. He's also like you know relatable in the fact that people have encountered douchey men like Gaston just like the like like entitled like Wait, hang on whatever. are we guys we don't need to sit here and list reasons to like Gaston there's a whole song full of reasons why we like Gaston <laughs> well the vi the village helps create that monster for sure I mean oh, yeah. they they build him up to that point you know, he is a character at Disneyland that they have as a face character that walks mm -hmm. around and you do meet and greets with, and he is wildly popular. I mean, everybody wants to take pictures because he gets to, like, flex his muscles, mm -hmm. and the girls can, like, take pictures, like, holding on to his muscles, and it's like, I mean, it's like a dream come <laughs> true for all the girls that wanted to, like, fan play the silly girl, you know, obsessed with Gaston thing, and, you know, anyway, but as far as my thoughts on Beauty and the Beast, the original, I... Again, it wasn't one of my favorites growing up, and I'm not really sure why. Maybe I just never watched it enough. Just like Lion King was never in my favorites growing up, but it was also just like maybe those were the, just the VHSs that we had, and so I watched the same ones over and over because my favorites are always Aladdin and Cinderella, and I like watched them over mm -hmm. and over. But after watching it last night, I was like, this is like, there are no, I mean, other than the plot hole flaw of the timeline that we've discussed, I'm like, there are like no plot hole flaws. There are like no problems. Like, there's a great resolution. Like... I don't know. I just, I thought it was such a good film. You were right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. a very satisfying <laughs> arc for everybody, for sure. I, I mean, I guess it is a little bit, maybe for kids, it is a little bit darker than like an Aladdin or a Little Mermaid. I, um, also, I want to point out, it's one of the few Disney movies where you see blood. Oh, Ooh. interesting. Yeah, I didn't oh, even think about yeah, that. touches him when he gets... It's like on his wound. Because I was thinking Solid. about that when he was laying on the ground. I was like, oh, well, there's no pool of blood because Disney never does pools of blood. But I forgot about the, the, the bloody hand. The hand. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Also, another sort of pothole thing. Adam, if that's, I guess, that's canonically so cool. agreed to be a yeah, name. Yeah, Adam. Uh, was a 
he was 11 when he got transformed into a beast. They've, yeah. yeah. We were talking about that a lot. A lot. Well, that's just a very unfair test. Anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I do think that the sequel m makes him into more of an awful child. Treats Lumiere like garbage, and he's just mean to everybody. About and the then, Christmas presents when yeah. he's like, you got me socks, you jerks. You right, know. and then he opens the door. And then he's a jerk. It's like, okay, he is a jerk and kind of does deserve not to be turned into a beast, of course, but, yeah, but like, some sort of... Weren't we all jerks at 11? No, but it's I was. <laughs> In that flashback within a flashback, I would argue that he mm. looks to be about 16, 17. And I yes. think that <laughs> the writers of Beauty and the Beast apparently have had this very thing thrown in their face over and over and over again. So their explanation for it was first to change the line that Lumiere says in the song, 10 years we've been rusting to something else, and then <laughs> separately have issued an explanation that what he means is even in the time before they were turned, they weren't able to use their skills somehow because their master was so cruel or unfair oh, okay. or something like that. In any case, I think the intention was always for the beast to have been 16 or 17. I okay. see. Also, I feel like you so easily could have been like five years we've been rusting yeah. <laughs> and like it would have eliminated like very, that would have eliminated yeah. so many problems. Very quickly, let's do a two Travis McMaster minutes. I don't know who out there hasn't seen the first one, but maybe you haven't seen the second one. And so Travis is going to explain oh, what happens. Two Travis McMaster minutes. All right. I had to do the first movie, so I'm not really prepared, but we can do this. Let's go. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. <laughs> go. Belle is a uh, young French woman living in a provincial town who thirsts for more adventure that she reads in her books. Her father's an inventor and is going off to some convention with an invention, like in Gremlins. And he gets lost and ends up at the Beast's castle, who terrorizes him. Um... Keeps him locked up, right? Yeah, he locks him up because he's a jerk. And then Belle goes to try to find him, finds him at the castle, makes a deal that she will stay forever if her dad gets to go. Um, and then she learns through the enchanted servants that also live in the castle that the beast was turned into a monster when he was a boy, and he has to find true love by the time this magic rose wilts, or he'll be a beast forever. And then over the course of the film, they do, in fact, fall in love. Oh, also, Gaston's the villain of this. He wants to marry Belle as well. He's a normal man from The Villager. Uh, but he's a jerk. <laughs> Normal man. And so anyway, he ends up at the castle at the end of the movie, um, and there's a big fight, fight, fight. Gaston falls to his death, and then, you know, and then the love thing I mentioned happens, and all is well in the castle. Right, Paul? Yes, yes. Great. Go on. Okay, and two. Christmas takes place on, like, the Wednesday of this week I just described. <laughs> Belle is super sad about her life, but thinks maybe Christmas will help, uh, and so tries to have Christmas, and the Beast doesn't want anyone to have Christmas, because I guess he's still kind of a jerk. Um, but then they, oh, and then also Tim Curry plays this evil organ who's chained up in the next room the whole time, who is quietly <laughs> manipulating the beast through song to, uh, not, also not to want to have Christmas and to not to like Belle, because he just wants to be a, an organ forever, I guess. He's just kind of a Crypt Keeper looking dick. That doesn't work because it wasn't even a plan, it was just a song. <laughs> and then he dies from that. And then the Christmas happens. They don't fall in love because that was the first movie. So literally just Christmas happens. Um, and then, oh, this was a whole story told uh, by Mrs. Potts in the future anyway. So then after that Christmas happens, Christmas happens again. 
VA. Okay. Ooh. Okay. Not bad. That was pretty yeah. good. Um, not bad. On the time, the buzzer went when I finished. No, I mean, yeah, the timing was good. I and I know, I know you asked midway through. You asked if you were correct, and I said yes, yes. I do have some corrections to the first one. Really, only being that the servants do not tell Belle the specifics of the curse because her love has to be untarnished by the truth. Okay, but just but like, she um, does but, know that the castle is enchanted and that they're all enchanted and something funny's going on. Right, she just doesn't know the true love bit. Yeah. Can yeah. I put a question to the group that yeah. I have every time I watch this movie? Oh. The carriage that oh. Beast throws Maurice The into. spider carriage. Yeah. yeah. Was that person the carriageman? <laughs> and then um, he, got, he had to sit out in the snow all the time. And did he, was he spidery beforehand or was like a little like wink, the enchantress is like, and then when this one moves, it'll sound like a spider. Probably but that's just that. for me. Yeah. My rule of thumb going through these two films is if it has a face, it used to be a person. If it doesn't have a face, yeah. it was not a person, but is still enchanted and bounces around and dances. So only the talking furniture was once a human. And then the rest of the furniture just now gets to dance. Like the forks. Yes, all the forks and the plates. They yes. were forks and plates, but now they're happy, I guess. Well, wait, wait. Well, I am super uh, on board, but the forks do have faces. The forks have faces. The yes. Spoons oh. well, don't, don't have faces. Yeah. Yes, I was very specifically looking for this as well on my rewatch because of that rule of thumb. What is an enchanted object versus what is a person? And there is one shot in Be Our Guest with all of the forks being prepared to dive. And in only that shot, they have faces. Oh. So only the forks. For some reason. Yeah, the forks, yeah. can the can. forks are can-canning. Right, that's right. Mm -hmm. It's the can-can. Watch the movie? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going to use that conversational transition to bring up the only other, the only note I had on your Enchanted Christmas uh, run through, which was, besides Forte, you were also introduced to a piccolo named oh. Fife and the Christmas tree topper named Angelique. Oh, yeah, she, uh, was, oh. she was cute. And this, yeah, the axe, the Jewish yeah. axe. Oh, that was another Oh, that's right. <laughs> that was such a, that was like old Disney. That was like Disney in the like 60s, 70s. It was so stereotypical. Yeah. He was talking like so stereotypical Jewish, like with the big yeah. eyebrows and like the way yeah. he went, hi, gavalt, yeah. my head, and like all that stuff. And I was like, whoa, yeah. like that is, yeah, and like they were, they yeah. were so the swinging and the chopping. It yeah. was so obvious. Yeah. And then they say Merry Christmas. And he's like, hey, don't forget Happy Hanukkah. I was like, oh, so he's actually yeah. a Jewish act. Like, this isn't just a caricature. He is a Jewish act. Uh, one of my favorite moments, not because it was good, but because it was there in Enchanted Christmas, was when they threw shade at Charlie Brown Christmas by oh, having... Yeah. Her oh. pick the little twiggy tree and then Chip pictures it falling down with the ornament and going, uh, no, not this one. It, and then they walk away and the axe goes, ugh, like <laughs> one last quick, like, oh, fuck Charlie Brown. Yeah, that is yeah. funny. Yeah. I actually liked this movie. Hmm. This is the second time I've seen it. We watched it like two years ago or something. I didn't really like it then. But this time watching it, I uh, I had a pretty good time, except for the songs. My God. Yeah, yeah. I really did not like the music. I mean, I guess the yeah. as long as there's Christmas one is like okay, and as far as the inspirational goes. But nothing in the first Beauty and the Beast sounded sappy to me. It all was very heartfelt, and mm. a lot of the stuff in the Christmas just felt really like sappy and like over yeah. the top. 
I did enjoy the little angel song. I thought <laughs> yeah, she, she was, was a good cute. little singer. I thought the idea Bernadette be Peters from her songs. Mm, oh yeah. Um, yeah. I thought the idea behind some of the songs was really good. Like, I love the, mm -hmm. the progression of, oh, Belle likes to read in the first movie. Well, guess what? She's learning how to write her own book now. It's like, oh, that's awesome. Like, that's a great song for yeah. her. To, and what an yeah. apt gift. And then I think that Lumiere and Cogsworth having, like, a buddy cop song is also a spectacular idea that was poorly pulled off. Yes. Yeah. Uh, agreed. That's, um, sorry, I would say real quick about Angelique, and I just sort of had a thought about why it was. Um, whenever Angelique shows up, she says a line that sounds exactly like the voice of the feather duster in the first movie. Mm. Mm. She was similar. No, mm. the, feather, the feather duster is not in this movie. Oh, wait. I thought and I saw her once. She the whole time... is in it once. Yeah, because yeah. I keep my uh, eyes peeled because Lumiere at, in the first movie only has eyes for the feather duster or just like yeah. flirts with her. And but then in this Jim one, and Christmas, he's a player. He was all I over mean, the he place. was like flirting with he, Angelique and then he was flirting. Who was the other, other person he was flirting with? A wine with? glass. He kisses a wine, a wine, glass. wine glass. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What a dog. Yeah. Which, I love that which line. those only have mouths. Not no, yeah, not faces, just and mouth. That's because all they do is wine, and I love that joke where when uh, Cogsworth goes, Cogsworth. "Don't wine glasses." I was like, yeah. "That's really funny." That was a good line. I <laughs> did notice that the wardrobe was entirely not in it. I think that was the True. one really notable character mm. not that was represented. Uh, speaking of voice actors, the only voice actor who did not return from one to two uh, is Chip. The Guy who played him oh. in the first one, Bradley Pierce, also famous for being the monkey kid in Jumanji. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, that's cool. His voice had changed too much to be Chip, and so he is replaced in two mm. by Haley Joel Osment. Uh -huh. Oh, no way. Good for yeah. him. Wow, that's so funny. <laughs> yeah. We actually had to double check because we thought that Belle's singing voice was so it different was so in different. the second one. Yeah. I Agreed. thought it didn't sound like, yeah. like it sounded like a 40 year old woman. Like it did not sound like young, youthful Belle. I felt like it was so, it went from being like very soprano to very alto. And it also was so much the vibrato was deeper. Like it, to me, it just sounded like so much more operatic in a way that didn't, like it was, she had a beautiful voice, but it didn't complement the youthfulness of Belle, considering that it's not even a sequel. You said it's a mid cool. So it's like, it's yeah. not even like time has passed. Yeah. Yeah, uh, that, that was an odd one. I mean, yeah, just uh, touching again on the songs in general, every single time a song starts, it just brings everything to a screeching halt. It's just like, okay, slow down. Mm -hmm. I always, you know, here's a song. It, every time I felt kind of like surprised and startled that a song had started. It would, it, to me, it felt no different than like, Paul, if you just started singing a song right now. Every time I just felt like, going, oh, I'm so sorry. I guess we're, okay, <laughs> we're going to do a quiet song yeah. right now. It's so different from the first one, which the songs take up 25 full minutes of the first one. And there are only five minutes in the whole movie that don't have a score underneath. Well, this, uh, and singers-wise, the, the Beauty and the Beast was the last movie up until Princess and the Frog in which all of the speaking parts were also the singers. Like, this, they used the same voice actors. Oh. Uh, grossly um, underutilized for singing was Tim Curry. I thought that oh, his song, man. like, I know. from what we all know of Muppet Treasure Island, Tim Curry is a spectacular singer. And his song yeah. was yeah. very much a letdown. And I was, I was <laughs> yeah. <happy. laughs> it really felt like they were, like, recording all of Tim's lines, and they went, oh, 
Tamar pages got stuck together. There yeah. was supposed to be a song here, bud. Yeah. Do, you, can, do you think you can just? Rap? Yeah, he also uh, Ferngully. Ferngully, oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Also, Rocky Horror Picture. Yeah, that's a yeah, Rocky yeah. Horror. Yeah. Yeah. Lots of lots of examples. Yeah, but in general, I was just I was so the number one thing I was excited about watching this movie was Tim Curry. Any Tim Curry movie I haven't seen, any performance I haven't seen yet, I'm a hundred percent on board or ready or at least ready to see it. And I wasn't as let down as I worried I might be. You know, Mm -hmm. he was, I I kind of liked that the character's motivation seemed to be he was unappreciated in his life as a normal person, as a, as a harpsichord player or the house conductor. That's a zombie course. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Like, look, look do me a favor and when you get a chance, look up the the Tales from the Crypt cartoon. (laughs) Because <laughs> they just grew human maestro basically as the cartoon. Chris yeah, I, I, well, it looked like Tim Curry, which I also liked that 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 character. Rude, but uh, <laughs> that is rude. Yeah. <laughs> well, no. Because <laughs> okay. uh, that guy, yeah, that, that was one of the ones where it's like throw all of Beauty and the Beast. Like, oh, I kind of wonder what this person's going to look like as a human. And then we saw him. And it's like that's not a human. Yeah. <laughs> that's unfortunate. <laughs> we never got that chance. <laughs> But I, well, I, I liked that his motivation was he wanted to continue to write his gloomy music, which was his passion. And the reason he didn't want to ever be human again is because the beast loved his gloomy music when in despair. He wanted to keep the beast in despair so he could continue yeah. to play his passion music and, and be appreciated for it. So weird, mm. but interesting. I don't think I would call it his passion yeah. music. Okay. I think it's the only music he can write because Beast asked him to write a song for Belle and then he plagiarizes a yeah. Christmas carol. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then Fife is like, oh, you wrote me a fun solo, right? And he's like, yeah, I wrote you a fun solo and then lies. He doesn't know how to write happy music. I don't think he physically yeah. can. Yeah, I suppose that's true. And I mean, he did not. I, I was hoping that because it's a Christmas movie, I was hoping there could be some reconciliation that... Uh, the beast could tell him, you know, hey, Forte, I'm sorry I was mean before. I appreciate your music. And then it ended up just it, murder had to be what happened. You can't draw that ghoul like <laughs> happy at the end. Like when you make a choice to draw someone looking like that, you make the choice that they will die. Yeah, because it's, like it's not going to be at the end of the movie. There he is, like you know, grim mm. and Mandy. Like, well, I, I, hope, I, I held out hope for him, but I did Mon- also like the reveal that uh, that Fife is now the castle conductor at the end. Which, oh yeah. S- speaking of really Fife, I'm surprised to find out that the voice was Paul Rubens because to me that voice was so. Oh, it was it it it. it stood out to me as something that in the writers' room they were like, okay, so what's this character going to sound like? And someone went. Oh, I don't know. He could just kind of be like, oh, hey, I'm Fife. Uh, I'm Fife, and I walk around. I'm Fife. And they go, okay, great. You'll do it. You Perfect. <laughs> but, uh, no, Paul Rubens doing that weird voice. I had no, I had no use for Fife. I thought he kind of annoyed me. I have Piglet for that, and, you know, he doesn't add anything. This, he's, he's also kind of like this guy. confusing because he's on Forte's side a lot, but he doesn't seem to be evil at all or, or want the same things. Yeah. He just wants that solo. Yeah. 
It's just the solo. Pick a yeah. lane. Pick a lane. Yeah. He just wants to be in a charge. <laughs> I was going to say, it's kind of like the new LeFou. Le like, every villain has the bumbling sidekick. And so I feel like it was kind of like, oh, well, Gaston had LeFou, so... Uh, the evil organ needs a bumbling sidekick, so they made a funny little piccolo. So, I mean, I guess it, it kind of goes with those classic, like, tropes of characters. I was, like, physically tense because I was worried at the very end when he was like, take it away, maestro, and it went to Fife and he lifted up a piccolo. I thought it was going to be a piccolo-only song, Yeah, and I was really worried. <laughs> I was like, oh, it's going to sound horrible. And then, like... Immediately, the violence came in. I was like, thank God. Yeah. Like, I was so concerned. because I got annoyed. Ugh. On the topic of darkness and danger, in the first movie, when Belle goes into the woods and is attacked by wolves, it's like, mm. oh, no, this is thrilling. Maybe it's just as an adult, I've never seen this movie. Getting trapped under ice is a very real threat, especially oh when tied God. to a Christmas tree. That was really dark, and that was really scary. Like, just the thought, my thought was like, oh my gosh, her coat is so heavy in the water. She won't be able to swim. I was like, this is so scary. Um, And also, but then the beast came and rescued her and then stomped off into the night, and I feel like that's the exact same as the first one. Yeah. Well, and the terror of that Mm. sequence was immediately undercut by the fact that when she popped up, she wasn't shivering in the slightest right just like, yeah, chip i'm right. glad you're okay oh, oof. glad that's done we're not yeah. still yeah. on the I ice feel, or anything i feel like i thought lumiere was gonna come in and yeah, yeah. just like a, oh don't worry Go i'll make a campfire that. for you and that's all it takes i was like okay now we're all warm yeah but didn't address yeah, yeah. Even, i mean you didn't like i even would have been okay with no voice wavering just an animation of her like you know a little yeah, bit like, just a little bit or like literally make yeah. her blue yeah like lefou was blue when he yeah. came out of the snowman yeah, that's true that's yeah. very true yeah that's a that's a very um like un- being trapped under ice an idea is very like um i can't think of the word it's a it, nightmare it goes hand in hand with <laughs> <laughs> yeah but i feel like it's- of us grew up being terrified sure. of oh yes 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 oh, yeah. yeah quicksand I, I i know what you mean because as a kid it, it i remember feeling like quicksand was everywhere somehow but as an adult the trapped under the ice thing is a little is still more tangible do you have yeah. i guess it doesn't scare do you because i watch it and i just go that's why i don't go on the ice <laughs> just don't go out there can't get not afraid of sharks either oh. just don't go in there do you have the mm. same response to in Aladdin when Jasmine is trapped in the hourglass? Oh, in the sand. Oh, yeah, that's... Oh, yeah, that was spooky. That one for me, yeah. I... Well, but Lauren's rooting for Jafar in that. Oh, okay. <laughs> Just Lauren? Not all of us? Because, I mean, he's pretty fun. Um, well, it's, you know, I know this is sort of the nature of the podcast for us to analyze the specifics of the story, but that was exactly what made me not enjoy most of the live action remake, which is you have this platform now in which to sort of constantly check in with the audience and say, you know, that thing that was never addressed in the cartoon, let's address it now. And it just bit by bit takes the fun and the magic out of it. Also, I only want to bring this up because uh, we've we've built a reputation on the show for being anti-Ewan McGregor. I'm not overall anti-Ewan McGregor, uh, I think it's just you, Paul. Yeah, we're, Paul. Where are Ewan McGregor? Yeah, I would like an itemized list of who yeah. here does not like Ewan McGregor, please. I like Ewan McGregor. I'm 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 saying that now, but I think I think in this show a lot of anti Ewan McGregor 
topics come up, a lot of comments come up, and I'm gonna just go ahead and call his entire casting in the Beauty and the Beast as Lumiere some Ewan McGregor bullshit. Ewan McGregor, slam! I understand he might be cast because people like him, he's famous for singing Moulin Rouge. Like, musical theater oh, yeah. mm-hmm. crowd might might have enjoyed that, but he is very Scottish, he is very not French. Hmm. Not like Jerry Right, well, I couldn't, I couldn't have told you. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's yeah. the difference. That's, I can tell you. What uh, I, do, I do think that his casting as Lumiere was an odd choice, and I remember kind of being thrown watching the trailer. But also, if you're going to say that, then you got to throw Ian McKillen in there too, because that's a strange choice for Cogsworth. Mm. Like, all of a sudden now, mm. Cogsworth is three times his original age. Uh, yeah, I think, uh, um, yeah, okay. Uh, okay. I, I don't want to argue about this oh, all day. Me, yeah. Do you hate Ewan McGregor enough to throw Ian McKellen under the bus? That's what this <laughs> well, is. Well, Ian McKellen has never done anything Am I wrong. Or did, he, did you change your shirt, Travis? I mm-hmm. did change my shirt. Okay, no. I just, I looked, other sh- I looked away from it, and I looked oh, back, buddy. and I was like, that's different. Yeah. I'll mostly just do it for the podcast. I think it makes good radio. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it changed your perspective, refreshes your voice, all yeah. those good things. I was uh, I was now years old whenever I learned that Ian McKellen and Ewan McGregor mm. were in the live action remake. All right, I'm sorry, I have to address it now. It's Ewan. Mm-hmm. You, you you said mm-hmm. Ewan twice. I say Ewan. Interesting. <laughs> How do you know what I'm going to I'm like, going to live and die. That's by interesting. That. Ian McKellen, sorry, transitioning out of this as quickly as possible. Uh, Ian McKellen <laughs> was one of the original um, <laughs> actors considered for Cogsworth in the original. Uh, it was written oh, specifically cool. for John Cleese, who turned it down. But both oh, of those sure. incredible actors aside, I, I might have to give voice MVP for the whole movie to David Ogden Styers. I mean, maybe not the singing. Uh, MVP, but Cogsworth to me, the subtlety in the delivery of his lines, the <laughs> that kind of stuff, yeah. Yeah. amazing, amazing. Yeah, it's true. I can't imagine anyone else playing. I, I definitely can't imagine Ian McKellen playing. Well, I could. I can make room in my heart for a stuffier I mean, Cogsworth. You know, an true. older sort of a John Coffey Towers Cogsworth. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I just think that the Cogsworth that we've come to know and love is just, he's so cuddly. You know, like, there's something mm. about him that just has this cuddliness that I just want to, yeah. like, pick him up and squeeze him. Like, but maybe that's just me. He just seems like a, a clock-like teddy bear to me. Mm-hmm. I would say that Cogsworth in human form is even more cuddly, potentially. Like, he's my favorite looking <laughs> of the transitions. With his wig that comes off on and off his head. He is well adapted. I feel like they're pretty much all well adapted, I would say, except for Lumiere. I think he's very odd to look at. Well, well, if we're doing both movies, then absolutely uh, Forte, because Forte is is like a psycho. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, that's so like, cute. How, how cuddly he is. <laughs> and his outfit, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's great. And that mustache. I know, his little yeah. pocket watch. The, the first and biggest laugh out of me in Enchanted Christmas is when he wanders past the table and immediately says there's too much holly. That hit oh, me. Oh, that was a good <laughs> one. Oh, yeah. that, was, that was wonderful. It was like the first joke. Yeah. 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 Things that I read into that I want to know if anybody else read into. One is... At the end, only because of where she's standing, I feel like they're teasing a possible setup between Maurice and Mrs. Yes. Sure. Anybody else read that? I did, and I liked that. I always 
Yeah, me too. I, I was actually disappointed they didn't follow up on it in Enchanted Christmas in the beginning and the end. Well, even at the end of the first one, too, and just Chip's, like, enjoyment of Maurice's yeah. machine as well. Like, the whole... That's all three of them fit together perfectly. I have, yeah. I have que- I've always had questions about Mrs. Potts. Is that her child? Like, did she adopt him? We don't him? need to spoil any pitches for later having this conversation. <laughs> oh, hey. Now, I'm warning you guys, Jason, last night, I was trying to go to bed, and Jason wanted every detail of everything for our entire sequel prequel. So we have like five pages of notes of everything that happens. So this is a very fleshed out sequel we have for you guys four here. four pages. This was our second yeah. idea for our. This pitch. was like our third idea, at least. I mean, we pitched a lot, and but this was the one that stuck. We had yeah. one. Do y'all have like a joint pitch? Yeah, we, we had a writer's room going. Okay, okay that's cool. What I and I don't want to thumb my nose at what you just gave me, which was a perfect transition, but only because <laughs> I, I started it. Right. I really quickly wanted to say the other thing that I read into this time, and it, I was helped along by the live action one as well. The wardrobe. Mm-hmm. In the, mm, I don't, I, I almost don't want to bring this up, but in the live action one more particularly, I feel like they make the moth joke is a little dirty, is it not? Mm. I, in the, oh I yeah. yeah, in the original. Yeah. Yeah, because she's like, let's see what I got in my drawers, and she opens yeah. them, and there's moths, and she's and like, like, oh, oh no one's been in here in a while. Oh. Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh. It's like one of those oh, jokes drawers. for the parents yeah. that like kids don't get. This wardrobe hasn't been laid in a while. Joke for the parents. Yeah. Definitely yes. what I got. Yeah. Oh, I did want to ask, did this uh, movie put any of you guys in the Christmas spirit successfully? I think <laughs> yeah. it was a little I think for me, if they would have shown more aerial views of their decorating, I would have, but I was disappointed that we didn't yeah. get like a final aerial of like or just a, a panorama of all their beautiful decorating in the Great Hall and garlands and wreaths and all that lovely imagery that I feel like we didn't get. We got yeah. a picture of a the weird, like, pseudo-tree they made in the beginning that came crashing down, and yeah. then they had the table the Beast destroyed, but I wanted to see it, like, after the Beast decided Christmas was, you know, A-OK. Yeah. Or maybe just a little have the scene at the end where they're back in present day with Belle and the Beast and gift-giving in the choir, have that be longer so that there was more of that magical feely christmas vibe but that's just me yeah we needed to be our guest where they're decorating a big ass yeah. christmas tree and yeah. it didn't come yeah like they decorated the chandelier well, but... just pointed out that uh everything in this movie is very close because it's sure. cheaper mm-hmm. to animate less i mean so. yeah so, like, I, it was better so- than return of jafar and i don't know who else went on to watch <laughs> bell's magical world but it was that was the animation on that was a far cry from what we got in the Enchanted Christmas. You know, I, you know, it's it, it is yeah. just TV Disney animation. It was just yeah. episodes of the show. That, so it's not. I mean, yeah, it looks bad compared to the only animated movie to ever win Best Motion. Yeah. It didn't win. But it was the only animated movie nominated at the before time. they oh. introduced Intel. Oh, okay, everyone got correct. Okay. Well, yeah. All right. There are a lot of uh, distinctions. It did win the Golden Globe. You notice, like, the shortcuts. Like, Forte was weirdly 3D animated, but then his song was yeah. mostly 2D, very Winnie the Pooh, with his, like, music attacks. Mm. Um, and then Bell's book song was also animated in a far cheaper manner as well. Yeah. I had a yeah. big problem with yeah. those book attacks, the music attacks. And in general, mm. the magic in the uh, live-action one 
I felt like they really didn't want to spend the time figuring out how inanimate objects would move. So everybody just flies in the live action what? one. Like the feather duster flies. Chip oh, moves around on a little plate, but it's as if the plate is a snowboard that can climb. It's really like weird oh, uh, jerky hard. stuff like that. Oh. They just did a lot of like magic that flies, magic that zooms around and is oh. tangible. Whereas like, it's not really part of the first one. Well, don't they make the feather duster a peacock in the live action one, right? Mm -hmm. Which I'm not, I don't know, I'm not necessarily angry at her look, but she flies and not with wings. Like she literally huh. just kind of like drifts around as if she's like a leaf on the wind, but in control. It's weird. It's such an odd yeah. choice. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Okay. It seems like a lack of choice, really. But to your point, Kevin Klein is like the best part in my opinion, he like is the only one who adds something to the care, like a la layer of depth to the character that I appreciated, whereas the rest are sort of falling short. He's always very good. Yeah. Okay, so uh, without further ado, let's get into the questions that prelude the pitches. Number one, should this movie have a sequel? No. I don't yeah. think so. I don't think so. I, yeah, I thought it was, you know, you can make a sequel because anything with a princess sequel will sell, but I don't think it was the best sequel that could have been made. No. The, the hoops you'd have to jump through to get, like, a sequel that would be interesting are not yeah. worth it. Well, <laughs> and the, the straight-to-video sequel that they, was intended to be made before this is what they landed on was, was like, a follow-up where the villain was Gaston's son named... Avenant, because that's the name of the villain from the original story, mm. and would have been about them as humans dealing with this new villain, but they ultimately decided on the Enchanted Christmas because they everyone's rec more recognizable in their beast and or enchanted items yeah. form. All right, uh, yeah. next question, and it sounds like there's going to be some interesting answers from you guys here. Sequel or prequel? What's the sweet spot? So it is tricky. Uh, I personally did sequel. Oh, okay. <laughs> and it was tricky. <laughs> I would just do <clears throat> everything you showed up for, you have to sacrifice to do a prequel sequel. So I, I, I would say mid -quel oh, is mid -quel the way to go. Mid-quel is the way to go. Interesting. So did you do a mid-quel yes, as well? Woo-wee! So this uh, episode's yeah. question should yeah. have been sequel, mid-quel, prequel. We did uh, a prequel. So we have one of each. Oh, interesting. Okay, yeah, I can't yeah. wait. Ooh. I'm... Trying to think of other areas to mine as far as uh, uh, prequels go. I mean, young Maurice, maybe he had some invention story, but then you get none of the other characters. Yeah. Who cares if he did? My question is, who cares if they did? I'm sure everyone had at least one interesting thing yeah. happen to them yeah. in their lives. I yeah. just don't care. But get you got it. Well, that's why, get okay, I here. can't wait. I can't wait to hear what you guys did. So, well, okay, so then let's go yeah. in order, even though I am... Horribly unconfident in going last. Oh, yeah, I, you're gonna get you know, destroyed. You guys ready to start us off with your prequel? I think so. Now hold still. This might sting a little. Because there's two of us and we don't want to talk over each other, I'll start off, I'll read the title, and then I'll let Jason read most of the story, and if there's something he forgot or I disagree with his telling, I'll correct him. How does that it. sound? It sounds Perfect. delightful. Okay. Yeah. Sounds good. So this is a prequel to Beauty and the Beast, and it's called Chip Finds His Family. Oh. Oh. <laughs> Chip <laughs> is, live as a human, living in a French village as an orphan, in an orphanage, and he wants a family. Maybe he sings a sad song about wanting a family. 
the orphanage is approached and he is scheduled to be adopted by Monsieur d'Arc, who Ugh. runs the asylum from Beauty yeah. and the Beast. Right before leaving, Chip finds out that d'Arc plans to adopt him so that he can use him for unpaid labor in the asylum and kind of keep him there. For that essential. fucking guy. Um, so, An adoption under nefarious <laughs> Exactly. A nefarious oh goodness. Chip escapes and goes to a fair to try to lose d'Arc, who is pursuing him. At the fair, he comes across one of those strength competitions where he picks up the hammer and wants to do it, gets pushed aside by, guess who, Gaston. Gaston's Ooh. like, what are you doing with this hammer? Mm. With the strength competition. Uh, Chip continues to explore the fair. At the fair, he sees a big, interesting machine, and he climbs inside it. It's one of Maurice's machines that he has developed for some purpose, maybe getting water from a well or something like that. In its demonstration, and without any knowledge that Chip is inside, the machine drives off into the woods, and Chip is unable to escape or stop the machine. So this contributes to the picture of Maurice as like, oh, what a crackpot. He just invented a car by accident, but it doesn't work. Can I pause really, really quick? <laughs> yes. Okay. So first of all, Chip has a, the human Chip has a chipped tooth. Oh, right. And that's why they call him Chip. So his name Chip yeah. existed when he was a human before he became a cup. So his name's Chip with a chipped tooth. So everyone in the movie calls him Chip, even as a human. Bothered the hell out of me that he doesn't have a chipped tooth in the Enchanted Christmas. Nowhere to be found in that perfect mouth of teeth. And then... Um, also, when Maurice goes to the fair to show off his invention, Belle is with him. So we see a small glimpse of a younger Belle there with her father oh, just to place awful. her. And same with placing a younger, brawny teenage Gaston at yeah, the yeah. time it's happening. So let's, we're saying that this takes place, let's say, maybe three Not, years yeah. before uh, Beauty and the Beast takes place. So let's put, let's put the Beast at 17, Belle at... 15 or 14 yeah and gaston at like you know 18 something like that okay um very good so okay. chip rides into the woods on a runaway machine the machine crashes and he gets up lost in the woods chip finds an old woman and they kind of wander through the woods together they bond he shares the popcorn that he got at the fair with her and he's nice to her they come across a castle chip says should we go in the old woman thanks him for his kindness says, no thank you, but gives him a pressed flower in exchange. Mm. And it's like, thank you for being kind. She goes mm. back into the woods. Oh, sorry. Wow. Also, point. Mm -hmm. uh, this old woman asks him, like, why are you in the woods alone? What are you right. doing here? And he says, oh, well, I ran away from this evil guy, and all I want is a family. Again, reestablishing that Chip wants to find his forever family. Okay. Okay. Upon entering the castle, Chip meets and bonds with the gang that we all know in their enchanted forms. Lumiere, Cogsworth, Mrs. Potts, all of them. Um, but feels a, And he enjoys his time with them, but he feels apart for being human. And then upon kind of gathering more information, he, he understands that there is a beast there, and then he kind of picks up from the behavior of the rest of them that he's not supposed to be there. So while he enjoys his time with them, he's like, this isn't my forever place. I need to go find my forever place. So... He leaves in the middle of the night. The group wakes up and is sad but accepting of Chip's departure, with the exception of Mrs. Potts, who especially bonded with Chip and worries for his fate in the outside world. Mm. Mrs. Potts then uses the magical mirror the beast has to see where he went and sees that he was picked up in the woods by Dark again, who has captured Chip and brought him to the asylum where he is imprisoned and it's bad and he's doing villain things. Mrs. Potts. <laughs> then rallies the gang to go on a rescue mission for Chip, which they do, 
with the not beast he's not there at the asylum cogsworth and others pretend to be human they do like a mr muppet thing where they get in a trench coat and they oh, talk to them awesome <laughs> uh, they have this vision of like them trying to like climb over each other and make themselves as tall as possible and there's like a bumbling kind of comedic thing with like cogsworth and lumiere and they're all like using their individual strengths and it's just like a, a very humorous scene right uh so while cogsworth and company are distracting dark potts searches for chip finds him and then signals to lumiere who is outside as to what room they're in, Lumiere uses his fire and the machine that crashed in the woods earlier to break down the wall and rescue Chip and Mrs. Potts. Dark notices something amiss, finds that Chip has escaped, and follows the track into the woods. He chases them into the castle. The gang doesn't want to alert the outside world that there are things living in the castle, so they don't know what to do. Dark is about to get Chip, who is hiding in like a dresser or a wardrobe or a cabinet or something. Uh, before, as Dark is approaching and going to open the door, Chip wishes that Dark would never find him and that he could finally live with a family. The flower that he was given earlier glows in his pocket, and as Dark opens the closet, he finds only a teacup inside. Nice. Cup, Dark hears a massive roar for somewhere, from somewhere else in the castle and runs away scared, vowing never to return. Chip reunites with the gang and celebrates having a family who loves him. Ugh. That's lovely. Awesome. That's really, really wonderful. And a lot of that is born yeah, from the question that we had, where how the hell did Mrs. Potts have a child? And so this it was our solution to I, it, was that he yeah. chose to be And he's adopted, and that she is of an older age, but she never had children of her own. And we can, in some dialogue of this prequel, we'll say, like, she has a moment where she says, like, oh, well... I never had children of my own. So Chip was so special to me. Like, mm. you know, it's just something like that. And then in the end, I wanted a moment yeah. where Chip as a teacup realizes that family can look like anything and it doesn't have to be exactly how you pictured and something about how like mm -hmm. you were my family all along. I like, yeah, I that's really wonderful. That. And it's, uh, it works better for me than what I think the, uh, again, I feel like the writers of this movie in particular had to field a lot of questions as to like, well, what about the, how does this work? How does this work? How does this work? And I think what they came to about, well, they said that Ms. Potts has 12 kids. Right. Uh, which would, they uh, yeah. have brothers and sisters, which we'd have to find a way to address somehow in the film. But, but in the, I mean, in the first movie, I don't. To come join it. And then this is a happy place for all the orphans and they all become teacups together. Well, a lot of us said no, no to the prequel, but I think I would delight the most in seeing Getting to see Gaston and LeFou again, getting to see a slightly younger version of a lot of these characters. Yeah. It gave me a thrill just to hear it, to hear that they were at the fair. I was like, mm -hmm. oh, I can't wait for that scene. There's probably a song in there. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like no? you could have yeah. a song that's like, you know, Belle's father singing how he's so excited about his invention. And then Belle's like, I love the fair. Maybe they'll have a book stand. And Gaston's like, I can't wait to show off my strength. And then you just have this little kid that's yeah. chipped running yeah. through the fair. And it's just like a bunch of lively chaos in this provincial town and um oh also if it wasn't clear the woman in the woods is the same right. enchantress who enchants beast right. so like maybe mm -hmm. there's something mm -hmm. there where yeah. we see some glimmer at some point after chip waves goodbye and goes towards the castle she turns back into the enchantress or something right. where the point is he got the special flower because he showed her kindness right he was also tested right. but he passes the test that adam fails and so he gets his wish which is a get-out-of-jail-free card that is manifested in a rose that turns him into a teacup. Yes. Yeah, and that is her M.O., testing little boys. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah no. Break from that tradition. Yeah. 
Um, also, a couple more, only because of what you just said, it made me want this moment in it. The at the fair is the first time Gaston sees Belle, meets her, Ooh. sees her, says she's gorgeous, and he falls. That's love it. Um, oh, very yeah. easy yeah. thing to just slip right in there, and it's just perfect. Yeah, you could even have it. And then I, you will be. And he tries to impress her with his strength, and she's like, "Oh no, I want to go to the book stand." You know, just setting mm -hmm. up their personality. Yeah. Oh, exactly. Yeah. And then I also, at some point, I feel like Chip has to call Mrs. Potts mama. Right. Yes. I think a big thing will, instead of saying, like, I want a family, I think it'll be more of like, a, I wish I had a mama. And then at the end, it'll mm -hmm. be, as, like, his first thing when he becomes a teacup, the first thing that he says is mama when he sees her or something. Mm. For branding, we might want to call it, like, just for the title, just call it, like, Fast and the Furious Presents. <laughs> <Yeah. Fan Finders>. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> okay. I'm gonna go before. Oh yeah. Because mine's a mid -core. not good. Right then, you all know why we're here. So I came up with my pitch uh, when I was actually during Belle's song in Enchanted Christmas, the storybook song, because I really thought that Disney dropped the ball on not utilizing Belle as like a, an encouraging people to read character, like a reading rainbow mm. type character. Um, and then I thought, oh wait, I can do that for my pitch. It, it'll be. It's called Belle's Library. Mm. It's set at some point during the, the movie, uh, and she's in that library reading her books. Someone, probably Chip, comes in, and she's going to read a story to him. So she starts reading him Robin Hood, and we're going to see the Robin Hood tale. It'll be the, the 60s Disney Robin mm. Hood, um, but all of the characters will now be played by Chip's friends, the enchanted mm. servants and stuff. So basically, we'll get to see like a 20-minute funnier version of Robin Hood, but it's like... Instead, like, you know, uh, Chip is Robin Hood, or the Beast is Little John. And basically, how do their personalities change that story? And then we just get to see that sort of play out and fall apart. And you get a little bit of the meta fun, because while Robin Hood is a classic tale that maybe Belle would know, we're doing the mm. Disney version. So then when we come back into the library, there's, you know, Mrs. Potts has come in. She's like, oh, Chip, come away for bullshit. And he's like, but mama, Belle's reading the story. So she's like, all right, just one more. And then maybe like Lumiere is like, oh, is it a story? So then a couple more people come in and we get another tale and we're going to do Sword mm -hmm. of the Stone. Mm -hmm. uh, and then more fun there where we, and there'll probably be like one song per, I, I don't know, probably we want to take like a song from Robin Hood and a song from Sword in the Stone and use the same melody, but just change the lyrics to incorporate oh. like now Lumiere is Merlin mm -hmm. or whatever. When we come back to the library, now everyone is there except for the beast. The whole the whole staff, the spider, all the forks, um, the pipe organ's dead <laughs> carcass has been dragged downstairs <laughs> in the back. The third one was going to be, I think, Cinderella, mm -hmm. actually, because that's the closest to her own mm -hmm. story. So we would see Cinderella with her now playing Cinderella, and we would just sort of see it play out, and Chip the whole time is thinking like, oh, and then this will happen, because he's still wanting Belle to fall in love with with his master, the beast. So he's like, oh, this will happen, but it won't work because Belle's, Cinderella's story doesn't work with Belle because they're different people. Mm -hmm. And what I'm driving towards is by the end, we're going to see all three of these stories fall apart without their original characters. Mm. Uh, the idea being you need to be true to your own story, play your part in your own story the best you can. Um, and then at the end, you know, the beast will have been revealed to be kind of like on the other side of the library door mm. listening. And we're going to have everyone come out 
he comes in and we get a nice moment where like he sits down and he says, we really Oh, I do like his I childlike think, uh, qualities. That, that kind of stuff in the first one really makes the beast work. And also what I like about your pitch there, Travis, is it's very Muppety. Muppets have done stuff like that where they put themselves in We all love. But uh, also, uh, Mrs. Potts is an easy shoe-in for the fairy godmother. Oh, Oh, yeah. I also like the idea, I don't know if this would be part of it, but getting to watch Beast act like Prince Charming. Beast playing that character. What I'm thinking now is like, as she's going through the story, people keep interjecting. Mm -hmm. And she's like, oh, a master would be playing Mm -hmm. him. He would be blah, blah, blah. And maybe you see the beast being kind of like goofy and clumsy, but then Belle gently corrects and is like, no, no, he would be like this. And then the beast gets to see himself oh, that's through nice. her eyes, his Ooh, potential. Yeah. You know, like the porridge scene. Like you, you yeah. can't use the fork. I'll drink the yeah. bowl with you. Yeah, that's yeah. great. All right, Lauren, you want me to go? You want, you want to go? Uh, what would I'll you go, like to just do? Just because I, uh, I hate mine okay. after, especially after hearing your guys'. Um, <laughs> I'm you, sure you guys it's made good call. Oh, thanks, Sierra. That's really nice. Here's my pitch. Um. <laughs> There's something I want to show you. Prince Adam and Belle prove to be magnificent rulers over their now prosperous kingdom, which includes Belle's village. They also do everything in their power to ensure fabulously happy lives for their entire castle staff. All in the village and in the castle are anxiously awaiting the forthcoming wedding ceremony of the beloved lovebirds. So I am going sort of with the live action explanation that they are now, it's now a kingdom again. Cause that's not really addressed in the movie, but I think it would. I've like never even it. considered that before. Like I've always like, oh yeah, it's Prince Adam, but I've totally slept on the fact that like there should be a king and queen and this is a kingdom. I've always just thought like, oh yeah, there's a castle in the woods and there's a beast there. Wow. Right. I thought he was just a wealthy yeah. landowner and not actually a prince, but he is a prince. He is, yeah. yeah. So after a brief period of self-governance, the village has Thank a good But they're happy. They're, they're, and, ho- and I'm thinking, with the exception of, of course, Monsieur Le Dark. So the it's Arc. dark, but dark. Okay. Yeah, okay. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hope, and without Gaston around, I'm going to hope that not only the prosperity is making the village a better place. Because it's kind of mm-hmm. horrible. The Enchantress, Azura, I've named her, hears of this development and ventures there to see what she calls or considers to some extent the fruits of her labor, because she helped the beast. Hearing of her arrival, Adam and Belle prepare to host the sorceress at their castle. The staff begrudgingly falls in line behind their beloved masters, but Lumiere seems like he's the most apt to blow his stack at at this person who kept them as furniture for so long. However, it turns out to be Cogsworth who can't hold his tongue after she's made some snide remarks or, you know, potentially unsettling remarks over the course of dinner. And he tells her off with the ultimate anti be our guest song called right this way to the door. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Everyone is fearful of her reaction but they are surprised to find that she apologizes and asks everyone's forgiveness. That night, Belle visits her room to share her admiration for the response. And that's when Azura's true intentions come to light. 
Since Adam has been the only one to ever break her curse, she has chosen him to wed. And oh wow, she says, fortune has favored me, you've already planned my wedding. Or how fortune has favored me, you've already planned my wedding. She turns around to face Belle as an exact duplicate of Belle. Mm. Um, I thought this was maybe encroaching on Little Mermaid territory a little bit with Ursula and, you know, that thing, but anyway. She turns Belle into a hideous beast, one that cannot speak. And with the help of Monsieur d'Arc, the evil ally she's met in the village, banishes Belle from the castle. So he's outside waiting to collect her. Belle escapes from the evil man's grasp and ventures into the woods where she runs afoul of the wolf pack but ultimately wins them over with her kindness in beast form, and they leave her alone. Adam, meanwhile, fails to pick up on Belle's new personality traits as he remains occupied with the wedding. Uh, her demeanor, however, does have an effect on him, encouraging his darker side and devolving him back into the foul-tempered beast persona. Like, he's not the beast, but he's becoming more like he was. The staff notices, and Cogsworth... I love Cogsworth, that's why he's getting such high representation here, uh, is the one to discover the truth, prompting her to turn him into a clock, but this time one that cannot walk or speak. So he's just frozen. One day, while the two of them, Adam and Azura in bell form, are headed into the village, they come across the wolf pack and are saved by Bell Beast, who is wounded in the process uh, not because she fights them, but because she gives like a big warning roar that causes a small avalanche and some rocks fall on her. Adam insists that they take the beast back to the castle, but Azura makes sure that they lock it up. Uh, uh, there's a little bit of a process of Adam connecting with the beast through the cell door. You know, uh, she can't speak, but there's something there. The connection is familiar, wonderful, warm. Azura's ruse ultimately fails when Cogsworth makes himself chime, so he's not able to move or speak, but he's able to turn the clock handles faster, and he makes himself chime just at the right moment for Adam to come in and catch the Enchantress in her true form. She's mm -hmm. dropped it for oh. some reason. Like, it, it's kind of like Ursula. She's maybe got like a necklace or something that allows her to mm -hmm. be, you know, disguised. Sure. Realizing the truth, he races to release the beast form of Belle. Rather than exact vengeance, Azora lifts the curse and breaks down, sort of stating that she'll never be as powerful as Belle in her ability to bring out the best in everything. Belle convinces her that in order to better understand how to connect with others, she must give up her powers and become one with the natural world. She does so, revealing her true, true form, a far more homely woman than the one we've come to know. Cogsworth, however, thinks she's beautiful and asks her, asks her to dance at Adam and Belle's wedding. That's more or less it, and I call it Beautiful Beasts. Ooh. Nice. Uh, Paul, I, I don't know why you picked that as a, as a failure of a pitch. That's yeah. um, yeah, among that... my favorites. No, that was great. That pitches. was so thoughtful and creative. I don't know why mm. you sell yourself so short, buddy. Uh, no, no. The only I, I, the title I was going to pitch to you was going to be The Enchantress oh, yeah. and the Beast. Mm -hmm. mm. Can we hear right this way oh, to the door? Is there yeah, someone no, we can I'm reach not, out to? Can you I'm no Alan Menken or Howard Ashman, and it's. Uh, I, I, I'd rather leave it to the imagination. I almost uh, the original title I went with for that one was just "Leave This House," 
but it immediately made me think of leave this house, leave this house, <laughs> get out, you know, yeah. which is just stealing at that point. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I guess the thing that stuck out to me was I think the turn of the Enchantress is a little jarring maybe for her to just not be evil in the end. But and I also like that Monsieur d'Arc is just remains out there to do evil whenever he's going to have his comeuppance. He just yeah, leaves just... and disappears again. Back to the yeah. asylum. Well, Lauren, let's let's uh, get your... Okay, I'll be, I'll be quick. I've made a lot of notes, but I'm going to try to get through them quick. This is the day your dreams come true. The town is suddenly attacked. The assailant is a curious, familiar, curiously familiar creature, mm. a beast. The townsfolk, after recovering from the attack, march on Adam's castle to confront him. But they find Adam, Bell, and all of the castle folk to be human and happy. And, you know, they're like, we, they don't know anything about it. The situation understandably piques Adam's and the townsfolk's attention. And they all agree to work together to find and trap the beast. Um, Adam sets a number of traps. One day he goes out with Bell to check them. All fail except for the last one. Adam and Bell discover the beast trapped in one of the traps, only to watch the beast easily extricate itself and attack Adam. We meet again, beast. The voice is gravelly but unmistakable. Gaston. Uh, Adam protects Bell but quickly realizes he is no match for Gaston's beast strength. He and Bell manage to escape and retreat to the safety oh, Gaston of the Gaston is the beast? Whoa. Whoa, okay, I missed that. Yeah. Oh, whoa. Yeah. Yeah. A bit. Holy cow. So they, t they tell everyone in the castle about Gaston's transformation, and they start to evolve a plan, and they lock down the castle extra well for the night. Not well enough, however, for in the early hours, Beast Gaston manages to break in and kidnap mm -hmm. Belle. Um, Adam is distraught and finally knows what he must do. He treks out to the, to the secluded house deep in the forest, the Enchantress's home. Adam asks her why she turned Gaston, because there's no one else it could be. She says she found a man dying at the bottom of a ravine, and it was all she could do to save him. Adam doesn't trust her, but has no other choice. He asks her to turn him back into a beast, so he may fight Gaston and save Belle. The Enchantress agrees, but warns him it will be forever. Adam agrees. Um, he then goes to track down Gaston and Belle in a cave in the woods. Gaston meets him, and they start an epic fight. Uh, evenly met, blow for blow, until Gaston gets the upper hand with a vicious swipe. Adam is weakened and bleeding after more brawling. Gaston is poised to land the killing blow when a large, furry shape knocks him to the side. Adam watches the two beasts viciously fight until not Gaston is killed, returning to his mm. human form. The other beast then turns to Adam, revealing familiar hazel eyes. Oh. Bell? A lot of Bell beasts. Adam and Bell reveal to each other that their transformations are permanent and both happily accept each other as they are. They return to the castle and live happily ever after protecting their friends in the village nice. from any It's like a oh, Shrek. Shrek. Yeah. The, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the title, Beauty oh, and the okay, Beasts. Oh, okay, nice. So our, our stories had a, quite a, a well, few I was similar beats. I going to ask I where uh, LeFou lands in all this. Not there. Okay. Uh, Beast Gaston's first wow. victim is very quickly LeFou. Yeah. It's a cold <laughs> open of just LeFou. Gaston! Uh, no, no! 
you know. But you don't see. Yeah. Oh, it's you? Or like, yeah, yeah. We pan over to Dark just watching. He's like, I love yeah. this too. And we're yeah. If I could, I, I'm proposing we're doing a new voting system now. Everybody can vote for one, but cannot vote for their own. So, okay, and, and I have a tiebreaker in case we need that later, but I guess we can't because there's five of us. So unfortunately, Sarah, you cannot vote for Chip Finds His Family. That's fine. It's okay. H however, what uh, is next is Bell's Stories. Bear sorry. Bell's Library. Sorry. Bell's library. <laughs> library uh, beautiful Beasts and Beauty and the Beasts. So, I hate choosing um, favorites. It's like choosing a favorite child. I'm too much of a pacifist. Uh, they're all so good. Yeah. Um, I really was mm. impressed with everybody's. Um, Agreed. This was a lovely smattering. I think I'm going to go with Pulse. I love them all, but I'm going to go with Pulse. Congrats. Uh, thank you. <laughs> See, all that self-deprecation <laughs> pays off, guys. I'm going to say I'm proud yeah, of I think we, all of us today. Yeah, this is a really dynamite episode. Really ideas um, yeah, it is really hard they were all really really good well the good news is you can't vote for your that does and that's a really good yeah thing. yeah uh, i know mine's not gonna win mine's cute and fun i really like yours too. i really like mine too but those are those are yeah i feel like actual story chewy chunky movies you'd want to see yeah. in a the theater mine's a fun afternoon i think i'm also gonna Oof. vote for paul that was a test bitch. i really feel evil for having talked it down. I'm worried these are pity votes. Oh, um, no. Yeah. No, no. Having said that, I'm voting for it. You're voting for <laughs> really? Beauty and the Beast. Okay, I... Gaston and Belle in Beast form. Mm. Yes, you, you you do get Belle in Beast form in mind, but anyway. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it, it, it's awesome. I, I believe my vote is going to Chip Finds His Family because because of just it was the one that like having hearing the story described got me excited uh i'm probably going to use my vote for beauty and the beasts as well so congrats we have a tie we have a tie wonderful that means i win uh, it means <laughs> that i have a tiebreaker i have some rose petals they're white rose petals but meh. And I'm just going to let them fall at the same time. Whichever one hits the ground last wins. Does that sound okay? Whoa. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> right, you want the left hand? <laughs> uh, right. Right hand. Okay. Uh, right. Oh, you're not I'm even going to point the camera. So you're, you're, you're just going to drop flowers off screen and I'm, we're going to... Okay. I'm fair. I'm a fair guy. I don't even know which one... Doesn't matter. I, I think you have to play that. You have to um, play that one as it lies. I saw what happened and play it as it lies. Did uh, well. The fact is, uh, Beauty and the Congrats. Beasts is our winner. It's over, Beast. Bell is mine. Yeah. Well, job. either way, I <laughs> I'm just delighted by by all of these, and I thought they were all better than the Enchanted uh, Christmas. Oh yes. Thinking about it now, I really like Bell physically fighting. Gaston in this, be like for the first time, because yeah. it's like not something that she's prone to anyway. But to save the beast's life, that would be cool to get to see her kicking some like, He's been abusing he's her. He's been haunting her for years, man. Yeah. Her, yeah. He gets her come up. He gets his comeuppance. She offered it. Oh, Paul, yeah. you didn't talk about other other sequels. I mean, I I mentioned the uh, proposed other direct-to-video sequel 
um, mm. before Enchanted Christmas. But what, what are you talking about there, Travo? Well, I just I read Ooh. this last year. Um, yeah. The Beast Within, A Tale of Beauty's Prince. It's it's like in the line of those like Disney villain books that all have some unified story involving some sorceress sisters who you know have like a network that they talk to some of the other enchantresses of the books or or something. It's pretty good. It's Does not, it start I guess, before he's a beast? I think it's sort. I think it sort of takes place during, during gotcha. the storyline of the movie. It does. It takes place. It's like his perspective of the movie. A prequel that involved yeah. Yeah. Uh, young human beast as well. Yeah. The idea was he's at like a boarding school or something, and he's not that bad of a kid. But his friend, a young Gaston, gets him into trouble. Beast gets sent home for Christmas, but his parents are like, oh. we weren't planning on having you home, so we're leaving. We're, we were, like, we had travel plans. We don't care about you. You're a bad kid. And so that's why he's in such a bad mood when the Enchantress oh. comes, is because he's having a lonely Christmas without his parents. And then the mood, and then, and then the rest of it would be oh. immediately after he becomes Beast, kind of a Frankenstein plot where he goes and finds his parents and at, like, wants acceptance, and they're horrified by him. And so that's, why he turns into such? I think he could easily, in that position, tell them yeah. stay away from the castle, like never come and back. I think them reiterating, yeah. like, oh no, you're a monster, justifies him with all the mirrors and all the paintings and everything. Like at first, he can be like, oh, like maybe this isn't bad, and then he sees his parents and they hate him, and he's like, this is awful. I'm terrible. I can't do anything right, and then it sets him on his path. That's then, great. I like that. I like that, that uh, prequel. Mm -hmm. in this, oh yeah, go um, for in it. This book Gaston and him are friends, right? Like yeah. childhood friends. Yeah. As soon as you said that, I remember, yeah, they yeah. were teenage friends. They were both kind of jerks, uh, right. but Gaston was a little jerkier. And as I was flipping through just now to try to confirm that, I didn't even realize Maestro oh. is also a character in the book. Oh, interesting. Um, also, I, I think I mentioned it in passing, but I did kind of want to touch on, like, so for the whole time you watch Beauty and the Beast, or almost the whole time anyway, there's just a dead, a dead piano in the next room with every time they're in that rose room after a certain point, his dead body's in there. And when everyone magically turns into a person, he just turns into a rotten yeah, dead well, Tim Curry. <laughs> destroys half the castle. And then not the rest. The, the fact that he can destroy the, the castle with mm. a, one song is like such a weird before and afterthought. It has nothing to do with the plot of the of his part of the plot, yeah. which is I want to keep Beast gloomy. But it instead at the beginning he's like it's something that will bring the house down and you're like oh okay and then later he just uses it and yeah. you're like oh okay he meant that, that um did anyone kind of get vibes of All when right. beast pulls um, the keyboard it kind of seemed like forte was like gasping for air that's, yeah like the, yeah, that's how he got or, air in his lungs was the notes you know, that's kind of how i saw it and then he was like choking and then just <laughs> fell away from the wall and just yeah, it was, it was violent. Enjoyed. Very violent. Yeah. Well, let's quickly, if we if we have any, do some unsung heroes, and then we'll do red ads, cool. and then we'll do gifts, and then we'll go. Hit it, Paul Jr. Unsung heroes. Well, for the second one, the um, the little like wall rack that was holding uh, oh yeah, gates, he stood out to me. Um. Yeah, I, I thought oh, yeah, that, too. that guy got a, a raw just, deal. I know He's stuck to the wall. Yeah, yeah. It's a living. <laughs> um, 
And very much unlike the walking coat rack, yeah. who, by the way, is 100% my first one from the first one, my unsung hero. You know, it, he's not a character that speaks, and he's not a character that you really think about, I feel like, when you think of the movie, but he plays the violin during their dinner. He cuts Beast's hair. He is a multi-talented uh, guy, and he does some awesome, yeah, like, does. fisticuffs yeah. in the battle That's scene. true. Yeah, the coat rack rule. In the first one, the fight scene gives everyone a chance to shine. So yes, okay. that's very true. And it's so wow, nice because yes. like even the even the stove gets to scare people. And it's like, oh, this is great. Yeah, I love the stove, and I had forgotten. I always forget about the stove. <laughs> and I, I had also forgotten how much I delight in that fight scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, this last time I watched it, yeah. it just made me so happy. Every single attack, every single bing bang, you know, back and forth. Is Man, he just as a pirate? Yeah. Is that his sword and gun thing? Is Cogsworth is a pirate and then he flies down the stairs? Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. oh, I love that. And he's, they're melting Lumiere and he saves oh, Lumiere. Yeah. I love that so yeah. much. Yeah. Or the implications of yeah. a human through a candle melting is upsetting. The the spider coach from the first yeah. one. Pretty yeah. obviously uh, he, mine. She pretty blatantly took that. You've done that to me before, so wow. sad. He seems like the most goon-like of any of the enchanted creatures. He's like willing to be violent. Toss someone He's around. Definitely <laughs> said, yeah, boss. And stay out. <laughs> For mine, I don't know who hmm. it is, but someone oh. has to be in charge of the supply chain for the castle. Like, there, there is meat served and cakes. There are ingredients there. That will have rotted over 10 years. There was an answer to that in Bell's Magical World. Um, the Beast sends letters and then, like, gives them to, like, essentially a carrier That's pigeon. what that was. I got so distracted when I saw yeah. that scene because I was thinking, like, okay, so the stack of papers is a person. When he loses a sheet of paper, yeah. what happens? I didn't have a problem with a pen being a person, like a quill, but I did have a problem with pa- a stack of papers being a person and also a book, especially because, like, there's books. Like, books is another part of the plot. Yeah. And then, oh, my other oh, one was Philippe. Philippe, who I guess he is sung to some extent because oh, yeah, he absolutely. has so yeah. much screen time. But he's the world's best horse, 100%. He's able to run straight back home to, to the same degree as Lassie, let Belle know there's trouble, and then immediately run okay, back to the castle. Just, if I could point out, Philippe, Almost got her killed on the ice because he got afraid of a flute. He, I think, oh, not his. It interacts with his ears. You know, animal ears. That probably hurt. All right. Well, I believe this is going to be our first uh, as a collective rad ads. Rad ads. Rad ads. Things that these movies made you want to eat, drink, or buy. Otherwise oh. consume. So that's exciting. No, I'm going first this time. Mine always get taken if I don't go first. <laughs> eggs. He eats all the eggs. Four to five dozen. Yeah. Oh, they're raw. <laughs> that's oh, okay. Gaston yeah, that's always that's eating they're raw. five dozen eggs. And that makes me want to just pop them like pills the way he does. Yeah. I'd love to be roughly the size of a barge. <laughs> yeah, because he doesn't seem to, like, uh-huh. you don't see him working out no. at any point. He sits around. I That same sequence, it really gets me wanting beer. Mm-hmm. I mean, the beer yeah. looks amazing. Cartoon beer always made me want beer as a kid, even when I knew I thought beer was gross. Yeah. It just looked delicious. I feel like the way beer and wine 
are depicted in cartoons is always so appetizing. And I think yeah. maybe it's the only thing they can do mm -hmm. to illustrate to kids like yeah. how fun adults <laughs> want this. It's better soda. Don't worry. The porridge they're eating. Super delicious. Yeah, what, best case scenario, you get porridge. But I mean, growing up, growing up yeah. I would have oatmeal and I'd put like some sugar and cinnamon and milk. Oh, and yeah. I just, every time I see that scene, I just remember the taste of that and how like warm and just wholesome and yeah. nostalgic it tasted. So every time I see that, I'm like, ooh, I want, I want oatmeal. When you watch them scoop in the sugar yeah, and yeah, stuff, yeah. like they do the whole works. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. I mean, nothing super stood out to me in Be Our Guest, but I do want to oh, know no. what the gray stuff is. Yeah, I have... And why, I don't know why it's delicious. I don't think I ever got to try the gray stuff when they, they opened yeah. uh, Bell's, Bell's Diner or whatever in the castle in Orlando. That was like right as I was leaving, and yeah. you had to get reservations like a month in advance. So I don't know if I ever actually got to try the gray stuff. I think... Did they have something on the menu called the gray yeah. stuff? Yeah. It looks like oh, it looked like a cracker like with like gray frosting on top. I imagine it's like mousse or something. I know. I, oh, in the movie or in Disney? In Disney. At Disney, I'm sure yeah. it's just a frosting of some kind. Yeah. What is it in the movie? I assumed in the movie it's like pate yeah. or something. Looks like gross pate. Less for me the eating and drinking because I'm never really the person that like sees food in a movie and is like, oh my god, I need to eat that. So, but I'm like that with clothes and architecture and scenery. So that's much more for me what I see. So like I would see Belle's dresses and I would be like, oh my gosh, I want to go put on a gown and dance around in a ball gown. And especially just like the grounds and the snow and all of that. It made me very nostalgic for traveling. That's not exactly what you asked, but for me, it just, it pinged like desperation for like European travel and um, mm -hmm. fancy clothes and just feeling like a princess but that's just i mean that's my personality well and that's that was really a perfect expansion of the concept because it's like anything that this thing makes that that a movie makes you want to do is sort of what i want to give credit to because it's mm -hmm. like if that writer or that animator got me wanting something those are the kind of ads that work on me at least i think more than actual advertisements i read ad, i think <laughs> i will also have to go to the bar scene <laughs> i don't <laughs> enjoy hunting or mounted heads of game or such, but the vibe in that tavern was exactly what I look for in a tavern vibe. Yeah, you could sit yeah. in that chair. You know, speaking of which, I, I meant to bring it up after Lauren did her pitch because <clears throat> she said that Gaston and mm. Belle went back to a cave, but when when she was workshopping it with me, I had pitched that he went. Yeah, I noticed you get all fussy. When that uh, happened, I had pitched that yeah. they go back to Gaston's home, which is like a rich manor, not as big as a castle, obviously, but it's kind of. Oh, because you never see it. Right. Oh. Uh, and I had pictured it would be full of hunting trophies and animals and stuff. A very good he place to hide. As a trade. Also, right? mirroring the scene. From... Okay. Right. Yeah. Um, and no one would have yeah. gone back to the his home to see if he was there or not. I totally meant to do that, but honestly, just got lost in the sauce because I was like trying to keep. All the details together, and I'd like thrown out some other stuff. So I for I okay. meant I meant to do. That. I just thought like a cool <laughs> Vader's castle scene, and yeah, you know, they were all beasts and hunters together, and yeah, I meant to do that. But I would also think it would be cool to make it gloomy as if it's been abandoned for a bit because nobody knows what happened to him. Okay, so let's do uh, for our Christmas listeners a uh, holiday treat and uh, recount our favorite Christmas gifts of all time. A gift. 
a gift for me? I'm gonna loosen it up and just say favorite gifts of all time because mine is a birthday. Okay. When I was in high school, one year for Christmas, my family wrapped only my mm. presents in black wrapping paper. And all mm. regular Christmas stuff, you know, cause it was high school and I was all like spooky and stuff. You were a real forte. I was definitely <laughs> just wanted to um, hurl my body onto the brick floor and lay there. I um, thought you were gonna say my uh, well, that's a bit, that feels like trying to score points. Sorry. So I was I trying to go for. just a lie. Oh, the. Yeah, she, she does yeah, her custom Funko. She did one of me and it's marvelous. He, he had said it was the best present he'd ever received. Not oh, okay. I was trying to go for the Christmas <laughs> sentimentality. The black wrapping paper. Yeah, just the right? fact that that was, uh, a consideration yeah. made. That is nice. Yeah, that's lovely. Um, yeah. I would say mine, I grew up on the West Coast in Southern California, but I was born and all of my mom's family is on the East Coast of Massachusetts. So from time to time growing up, we would fly there and have a white Christmas with all of my cousins and all of that. So, which is wonderful, love spending time with them. Downside, mm -hmm. I loved playing PlayStation 2, which my cousins did not have. And in like seventh or eighth grade, I got Ooh. two games that I was really excited for, specifically asked for both. It was Jack 3 of the Jack and Daxter series, and then I think a, a fighting game that was like Marvel mm. something, Rise of the Imperfects. It was like a Marvel fighting game. Um, but I just remember mm. them both so clearly mm. because Christmas was towards the beginning of our vacation. So for the remaining two weeks that were in Boston, the whole time I was like, I cannot wait to get home and put these in my PS2 because I'm just just reading the cover art and reading the game. Like, I'm doing everything I can outside <laughs> of playing the actual game. Definitely not the best gift that I've ever received, but one of the most memorable. Memorable, yes. Yeah. Yeah, see, memorable. Definitely. The black was yeah. very memorable to me. But after hearing that story, I'd like to officially say the best gift I got was when I got <laughs> Donkey Kong Country two. On of course, <laughs> Diddy's Kong's Quest. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Whatever is, is the best gift story is really more the question than like, okay. because it's tough. Well, that's it's tough to say. Then I do have one. It was last year actually. Um, it was on my birthday. I think we we were just coming home from work or something, and like we came up to we. I pulled up to the um the gate the garage gate. And Travis immediately like jumps out of the car and starts like running um, up to the apartment. And so I park and I go up and he's put a chair outside the door. And so I sit in it and he opens the door and he like throws um, this like Halloween makeup thing, like um, fake blood drops and like vampire like eye makeup. Mm -hmm. And so I put those on and I just hear him bustling around inside. And after like a couple minutes, he opens the door like all out of breath, and he'd like put up a bunch of Halloween oh. decorations. And uh, he got me a, a a birthday card with Dwight from the office. And, oh, and that's where you have the sticker. Yeah, and inside was a, a sticker of um, Kevin like splayed out oh, wow. in his pile of chili. <laughs> Yeah, it, yeah, it was really nice, and like, I think you even wrote the card in in Dwight's voice. It was it was it was it was, just, it was, it was really fun. <laughs> it was exciting and uh, and sweet and thoughtful. Well, I'll say one that helped me create the most memories was when I because I went to college down here in Southern California, but I'm from Portland, Oregon. That's where I grew up, and uh, 
So when I found out I was going to Chapman, which is in Orange County, we know it's right by Disneyland, I had no idea I'd end up working there for six years and any of that. But when I graduated high school, my high school graduation present was a premium annual pass to Disneyland. Mm-hmm. And so I got oh. to go with my friends and I went, I think my freshman year of college, I went to Disneyland like like 60 times, I think, with that annual pass. Because we would just go after, we were 10 minutes away, we'd go after class for two hours oh, sure. and come back. You know, it was uh, it was the greatest thing because it was like, I got to create so many memories. I didn't have to pay for anything because parking was included. Mm-hmm. And um, it was the gift that kept on giving. And it allowed me to then, you know, have all this magic. And I was like, what if I, you know, became a cast member? And I went to an audition and I got cast in entertainment. So I would say like, I mean, I'm sure there's lots of others, but as far as like, a gift that kept on giving versus one that like you have and you love for a while and then it sits in the closet or whatever, you know, it, it right. kept giving and it is still giving in that sense. So, and we're talking about Disney right now. So it's fitting. I used to live in Orlando. So I was, I was. Oh around. yeah. Well, he lived like his height, your high school was like right across the street from Universal Studios. From Yeah. Oh, yeah. Interesting. Oh, yeah. As you were speaking, I was thinking back to living in Orlando uh, and just, yeah, going to Disney constantly. Just going, like, you would just say, like, do you want to just go catch the parade? And you just go to Disney, watch the Electric Light Orchestra Parade. Yeah. That's not what it's called. Um, the Electric Light Parade. Uh, and exactly. Then, like, and it takes down. so much of the That's pressure awesome. off that you have to fit every single thing into one right. day when you can come back any day. You could just be like, oh, let's go have lunch, ride two rides, and then go back and do our homework. And we would do that all the so time. So you don't have to do, like, a grueling 14-hour session. Because you this. paid $300 right. for yeah. this day. That is how it always is for me anytime I go. I mean, I love it, but it's like, mm-hmm. at the end of the day, my feet hurt, I am ready for yeah, a bit. Awesome. You feel like you've been like, you know, a CrossFit workout like your entire day and your back hurts and your bank account hurts and everything yeah. hurts, mm-hmm. but you're like, the memory. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. One day, I think I, I did 13 wow. miles. That's, that's great. Yeah, that, yeah. That's, it's a great yeah. way to get exercise yeah. and you don't even realize it when you have your little step tracker going on your phone <laughs> and then you look at the end of the day, it's like 25,000 steps and you're like, oh my God. My greatest gift or at least my most memorable um i and it's it's pretty i'm glad to tell this story it's kind of funny but uh my i was obsessed with jim carrey um so i uh wrote him a letter it was one of those you know you you buy the jim carrey scrapbook or whatever you get the address that it's okay to send him stuff Mm -hmm. care of whatever okay so i wrote him a letter and a and a tape cassette tape of me just talking to him and i remember when recording it just like bouncing on the bed and just like walking around the room just like like no problem talking to a stranger just letting it flow um and then i also sent him a picture of me which i do have so i can show you it looks nothing like him but i remember it's me and i remember i remember in the cassette being like people tell me i look like you So I sent him the picture as well. And then uh, many, many weeks went by and um, I never heard anything back and it became more and more heartbreaking to me in my, in my youth. And um, the, I remember the night before my birthday, I came out into, out of my bedroom and talked to my mom in the living room and it was like crying. And I was like, he's just never going to send me anything. He doesn't care. And like, or, you know, I'm never going to hear anything, blah, 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 blah. So then I, you know, she made me feel better. And then I guess sent me back off to bed because then I remember her calling me back out and be like, Paul. And then I was like, what, what, what? And then 
she pulled out a package and was like, look, look what I found. Oh my God, I found this uh, in the mail. I guess I must have misplaced it or something. Let's open it. And then it ended up being an autographed picture, Jim Carrey, said, thank you very much. And I remember specifically my mom being like, huh, you know, and to think it's almost your birthday. Isn't it interesting that like you could have gotten this for your birthday? Uh, I mean, I don't think she said that, but I, I, in retrospect, I think the implication was, okay, you were, she was saving it. And then I got so upset that it, she yeah. gave it to me early. That is great. Yeah. Can I? Yeah, it's, it's, I've thought of that as a sweet story for years. And I remember when I told it to Kim, she like sort of further squashed and was like, yeah, I mean, you know, he probably didn't even read the letter. He was just like, oh, <laughs> probably right. just, how you old know, are you? Like a P.O. box, he sent it, you know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, third grade, like uh -huh. eight, something yeah. like Aww. that. It would have been, it would have yeah. been like 84, right? That that big year. Yeah, that would have been so awesome, you know, just for like an eight year old to get that. It was. That's nice. Yeah. I think shortly yeah. after he debuted yeah. his excited eight year old character on In Living Color. So probably no collection. No <laughs> Uh, do you have any plugs? Yeah, so <laughs> I have a podcast called Fingers Crossed, um, and it's a podcast I do with my best friend. I'm a co-host, and it's all about surviving your 20s, um, life lessons as you get older, things involving, you know, rejection, growing up, dating, but also a lot of fun things and games. Um, essentially, just me and my friend, we're both 25, and we talk about, like, the struggles we've had and life lessons, little bits of wisdom, advice in a very friendly, conversational, honest way. Um, and that's called fingers crossed because it's about hoping for, uh, preparing for the worst and hoping for the best. So fingers crossed. I am a happy subscriber. It is well beloved and rightfully so you guys are super charming and like instant personalities on it. I, I oh, it, it's a good so listen. Much. I recommend I it as well. appreciate that. Yeah. Thank you. We're actually going to do um, merch soon. So that's exciting. Ooh. Have you considered big foam fingers that are crossed that's as hilarious. one of your products? Yeah. No, but I absolutely love that idea because our logo, we had a custom designed logo that's just like the little hand doing the fingers crossed that we're going to have for the sweatshirt. It's like super minimalistic, like, you know, that's going to be our thing. So um, I will tell Christy that you suggested that today because that's that's a funny one. It'd be like a gag thing. Like with every purchase, you get a free foam finger that's like the yeah. fingers crossed yeah. thing. Well, thanks for doing this, guys. I, uh, you know, we don't shy away from the big challenges like Disney Renaissance classics, and I don't think we should because no. we know what to Obviously do. Not. We all killed it. Uh, yeah. I think we'll continue to face these big challenges and succeed as well as we did today, or at least fingers crossed Ooh. that we will. And no, I don't get no. down to do it again if you do The Rescuers because I love those movies and I've seen both of them. So. Oh, awesome. That would definitely be a continuation yeah. celebration because that sequel rules. Yes. Down yes. Yeah. So yeah. That's yeah. Merry Christmas to all a good night. On the next follow-up showdown. Today's mission to sequelize the 1991 feminist classic Thelma and Louise. The reason I was thinking about the Han Solo movie is that you could do that with Thelma and Louise except instead of space monsters, it's like Domestic abuse and alcoholism, <laughs> so it's less fun, but probably... Is it? <laughs>